I hope you enjoyed my wife. She's a, she's a great preacher. <laughs> she spoke it. Some of you will know this name. Brother Bobby Robertson over at Gospelite. She spoke it about 18 years at their ladies meeting. And he used to come in our pulpit. I'd have him about every 18 months. And he'd come in the pulpit. And he'd always, she hated it, but she loved Brother Bobby. So it's okay. And she'd come in our pulpit and he'd say, it's so good to be here with your pastor and her husband. He said, you know, Sharon speaks at our ladies' meeting. He said, I just get up in the balcony and lay down. He said, that woman can preach. He said, we put a pantsuit on her. She'd beat Joyce Meyer every day. So, first time he said it, after we was eating afterwards, I said, Brother Bobby, how do you know Joyce Meyer? <laughs> but anyway, she, she's a... She's a wonderful lady, been a great wife for 44 years and a wonderful mother of our children for 39 and a wonderful nana for 12. And we're, we're living, living the dream, really. Uh, we would have never imagined in our wildest dreams that we'd be at Beacon 42 years after joining the staff there. But uh, God's been so good to us. And thank you, Pastor, Miss Raines. Thank you so much. And I told the men earlier, but uh, what a... What a great heart this man has uh, to help marriages. And uh, I do believe that's really where the, where the battle's being fought. Um, the truth is, none of our churches are going to be stronger than our marriages. And, um, and that, that, that's, from the, that's from the pulpit to the pew. I mean, it doesn't matter. And, um, and so all of us have, have a, great, a great responsibility. And, um, and I'm thankful that God allows us. We... Um, we have uh, our two sons serve on our staff, and and um, and it's a privilege to serve with them. And uh, our daughter's married to an associate pastor, administrative pastor. Now he just had a change of title um, at a church about an hour from us. And um, I told the men I led my daughter's pastor to the Lord when he's ten years old, and uh, he's fixing to celebrate thirty years in two weeks at that church. Very he cool. went there on staff like I did, and then became the pastor. And, God's good, isn't he? Amen. Yeah, you know. Uh, you, you heard about the you heard about the perfect man that met the perfect woman. Have you heard that? The perfect man met the perfect woman. Of course, they had a perfect wedding. If you have a perfect wedding, what do you have? You have a perfect marriage. If you have a perfect marriage, what do you buy? You buy you a perfect vehicle, a Chrysler Voyager, or we used to call it a Grand Caravan. Well, one snowy Christmas Eve, the perfect man, the perfect woman in their perfect car, was riding down the road. On a cold, snowy Christmas Eve, guess what? Over to the right, there was Santa Claus and his sleigh broke down. Being the perfect man, the perfect woman, having the perfect marriage, doing the perfect vehicle. They stopped to see if they could be of assistance to him. He said, oh, if you could help me get these toys out. There are going to be millions and millions of children going to be disappointed. So they loaded them all right there in their van. They started distributing them. Well, you know how it is when it's snowing. Sometimes the road deteriorates, the conditions of the road. They have an accident. There's only one survivor. You know who that is, right? It's the perfect woman. The other two don't exist. <laughs> but you know what that means? She was driving. Okay, now I'm... Okay. 
Heard, heard about the, heard about the, I, I probably shouldn't start this. I, I, I get started, I, I, I need to, you know, tr- I'm like Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon said people criticize him for using humor. He said, if they only knew what I didn't say. <laughs> I'm, that's me, okay? Here, you, you heard about the man, and one day he had been married, I mean, 40, 50 years, and he looked at his wife, he, so sincere. He said, I just want to ask you one question. How is it that you never lose your temper with me? I lose my temper with you. You never lose your temper with me. How do you do that? How have you done it? What do you do? She said, oh, I just go clean the toilet. He said, you go clean the toilet when I make you angry. That's how you handle it. She said, oh, yeah. How does that work? She says, I use your toothbrush. <laughs> I wouldn't make her mad tonight and I got home, okay? Sharon's written a couple of devotional books. I'll mention them to you. The first one is called Paul's. Uh, it'll have more family type things, marriage, children, grandchildren. It's a 60-day devotional book. And then the next one is, uh, you may say Selah, like it is in the Bible. Now around our house we say Selah because one of our granddaughters is named Selah. So when Sharon wrote this book, my mother, you'd have to know my mother. She's a, she's a unique case. My mother said, now you're going to write another book and call it Riley and another one called Aubrey. I said, no, Mama, that came out of the Bible. <laughs> Just being mean as a son can only do, right? And, um, but anyway, they're back in the fellowship hall, I think it is. And uh, they're $10 each, two for 15 And uh, we'll take cash. We'll take checks. We'll take demo, cash out, PayPal. Just see me. We'll take your money some way. We will not take your children, okay? We just don't, we don't need any more children. Not, when nine grandkids come to the house, it's enough, all right? And uh, how many of you got grandkids? It, aren't they wonderful? Um, I, I said I wouldn't be one of those kind of granddaddies. You know, I, I, I just, all my life said I'm not going to be that kind. I'm just not going to be that kind. But if you do want to see pictures of them, I have a thousand pictures of each one of them in an individual folder inside of Google Photos. Just see me right after the service, all right? And, uh, but... Uh, how, how many of you have children? How many of you have children? How many of you, okay. How many of you have children still living at home? Wow, good number of you. Yeah. That's a, that was some of the best days of our life. Um, if we had to do over again, we'd go back and have them come back home, but we don't want to now. <laughs> They're married and got kids. and you know, I, I used to have this philosophy, and I know I need to get to speaking here. I used to have this philosophy of family. You know, there was two of us, then they went to three of us, then they went to four of us, and then they went to five of us. Well, my philosophy was it's going to go back to four, it's going to go back to three, it's going to go back to two. Dumb philosophy. <laughs> I had no idea it was going to go from two to 17. But uh, I've been on a lifetime quest to go to all the Major League Baseball parks. I listen to baseball every night as a boy on the radio. WAGF 1320 on your radio dial. Little transistor radio. You don't even, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I had to hold it up my hand. You had to turn to a certain direction to get it, to, to, to pick it up. But I listened to the Braves play every night. And I thought, man, what a, what a day it'd be if I could ever go to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium and see the Braves play in person. When I was 25, Sharon and I went my first time. <laughs> so I just finished a few weeks ago. I've been to all 30 Major League Baseball parks. We went to Minneapolis was our last park. So all 17 of us went. Do you understand what it costs to take 17 kids, 17 people on a trip? You don't rent two hotel rooms. 
You, man, we ran a house. It was called a mansion. My oldest grandson, you just have to know him. He was, he was so excited. It was up on an area called Summit or something in St. Paul, and we were going by all these big houses. I mean, they're huge, huge. And we get to ours, and he drives up there, and, and Sharon's in his car, and so then it says, this is ours. And he said, this is a mansion of death. <laughs> it didn't, the Airbnb whiz in didn't look like the other houses where people really lived at. <laughs> he said, this is a mansion of death. <laughs> when we got inside, it was okay because it had about 12 bedrooms, three floors. You could do about anything you want to do, but uh, it's a mansion of death. <laughs> Only out of the mouths of babes will they tell you the truth, right? Huh? Well, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to stay there just a minute, but we won't stay there long. I've spent a little time with it. Or the men. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is concluding the Sermon on the Mount. Now I do understand. <coughs> that Jesus' primary application. Is not to marriage and home. I understand that. I understand his primary application. Is to our life as Christians. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. It's not even about how to be saved. It's what happens because you are saved. And, uh, and so he's bringing it to a conclusion here. And uh, I'm going to use it in kind of as a launching pad. So we're in Matthew 7, verse 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it's found upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Now, both houses suffered the same rain, the same floods, the same winds. One survived, one collapsed. Jesus says the difference between the one that survived and the one collapsed is in verse 24 and 27, uh, 26, I'm sorry. Look at 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. Look down at verse number 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. The difference is not the hearing. The difference is the doing. Jesus is the master builder. He's the one who established marriage on that first day of human history, the sixth day of the creative week. Somewhere in that day, I don't know when, but he said it's not good for this man to be by himself. He'll never remember where the remote's at. <laughs> he will not remember what night to carry the garbage out to the curb. He's got to have somebody fit for him. <laughs> And uh, God made the woman. And I'm glad he did. I spoke last session on just two genders. And if you're confused on that, see Brother Rains about it. He'll help you. So Jesus, Jesus is, give that first statement, God is the designer of marriage and made us relational beings. God is the designer of marriage and made us relational beings. You know, we won't go there, but Genesis chapter one says he made us in his image and in his likeness. Did everybody not get a handout? Anybody not get a handout? There were enough for every man, every woman to have one. All right. Is this it? I got it. Here go my brother. Here go. Get the rest of them. I'll give you enough. You can get all of them. I think it's Derek. Isn't it Derek? And uh, all right. So everybody, everybody got one? Speak now forever. Hold your peace. You heard those words one other time. You remember? You didn't say anything. All right. Now. All right. Right here. So. He, he made a male and female, and he made them in his image. And one of the ways God made us in his image was he made us relational. 
As a matter of fact, his primary purpose, I believe, for making us was number one, for his own glory, but number two was for fellowship. That's the reason you read over in chapter 3 of Genesis, he came down in the cool of the day every day. God didn't have to come down to speak to them. Do you know that? God wanted to speak to them. God made us relational. God made us to relate to each other. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to get in a political debate with you tonight about COVID, but you, but you want to tell you one of the sad things about COVID is it made people be isolated. That's terrible. Terrible. And now we're hearing all these reports of all these young people. We had, we had another student in North Carolina State this week took his life. We had eight last year. Eight. I guarantee you they're all people who struggled from the COVID days. I, I just, I, I know it. They didn't, they didn't have to interrelate with people. And when you start living in a dorm, you do have to interrelate with people. God made us relational. God made us to get along with each other. I didn't know it when I did it, but I think it's the third Sunday of January 2020. I, I was preaching a series through the book of Mark, and I just, the Lord, some of you understand this, the Lord just kept pressing my heart, you need, to, you need to leave this, you need to leave this, you need to go around here. And I preached from Hebrews chapter 10 on better together. Had no idea six weeks later they'd try to throw us apart. You, you're made to be relational. So, number two, being relational, we bring both the good and the bad into our marriages. I told the fellows a few minutes ago, a uh, guy preached in chapel when I was in college and said on the marriage night, six people climb into the marriage bed. Of course, that woke all of us up in chapel, you know. He said him, his mom, his dad, her, her mom, and her dad. Well, listen to me. This couple getting married. I think you said you're 24. Give me your name again. I'm sorry. Trent, and what's your name? Rebecca, and you're 20, right? So if I, was, if I was doing premarital counseling with them, I'd look at them and I'd know their ages already, and then I'd say, well, you know what, Trent, you're bringing 24 years of living into this new relationship. And Rebecca, you're bringing 20 years of living. And, and, and I don't know either one of your parents, okay? I don't know anything about your home. But most of the time when I'm doing premarital counseling, I at least know one of the two families because they grew up in our church. And so, you know, I'll say, now I know your family better than I know your family. But I know this, your family's not perfect. There's good, there's the bad, there's the ugly. Yeah. you talking about the most awkward premarital counseling I ever did. I did it for my own three children. I begged them to go to somebody else. I said, listen, y'all need to get somebody else to do this. They said, Daddy, you're going to marry us, and we, we, we want you to do it. So when I got to that part in my, I said, now, I know you come from a perfect family, but you have some problems in yours. <laughs> Okay? Well, you bring all that in there. You bring the good, you bring the bad. All of us do that. We, listen, okay? Look at me, look at me straight right here, all right? Because I don't want you to mishear what I'm about to say. I, I do not believe that people are a product of their environment. I believe they're a product of their choices. But I do believe that they are a result of their environment. Every once in a while, this sweet lady right here will look at me and call me by my middle name. You know why? Because that was my daddy's given name. 
And she said, you're being David right now. Why? Because that's what I knew all my life until I got married. You bring the good and the bad. We're, we're relational. So what do we have to do? Look at it. Here's the, here's the key. And boy, if I just spent the rest of the time right here on this half of sentence, it'd be enough. So we must continue to allow God to work on us. The need in my marriage is not for God to help Sharon. The need in my marriage is for God to help Tim. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not work on us, work on, work on her, it's work on me. Me. You know, you know that, old, that, old, that old spiritual, it's me, not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. It's not my wife, not my children, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So if you were to ask me, Brother Rabin, what do you think are the essentials to a Christ-honoring marriage? And listen to me. A Christian marriage is not two Christians living in the same house. You can have all Christians living in the same house and not have a Christian home. You know why? Because a Christian marriage is two Christians living in submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the control of the Holy Spirit in their marriage. So if you were to ask me, what, 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 what are essential? I'd give you three essentials if you woke me up in the middle of the night. Christ, commitment, communication. And I'm going to talk about that third one this evening. Would you take your Bible now and go with me to the Song of Solomon? We'll be there in a minute. The Song of Solomon. Look at verse 1. I'll go on there now. It says the song of songs. The song of songs. Why is it the song of songs? If you know anything about Solomon... 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us he wrote a thousand and five songs. And yet this one is the only one including the pages of scripture. And it's given the title of the song of songs. I think this is the reason why. This is his number one hit. And you know what it is? It's a love story. It's the love between a husband and his wife. You said he had 699 after this one. I can't, I can't explain that to you. I can't answer all that. But I can answer this. He loved her and she loved him. And, and what this song is, it, is a, it, it really is a conversation. As a matter of fact, before we finish tonight, I'll take you to the part that I think is the only part in the whole book that's not the two of them talking to each other or about each other. It's the song of songs. Why? Because it is a song of communicative love. Now I know that people try to take this song and make it an allegory. And I'm not going to fight you over that. 
You know, it's Jehovah and Israel, or Christ and the church. Maybe so. You can make that understand it if you want to. But it's a song between a husband and a wife. So, statement number one. There are two types of silences in a marriage. Two types of silence in a marriage. The sweet one and the sour one. You know what the sweet one is? It's, it, it, it's, it's, the, it's the silence where you don't even need to talk. We're just together. You know where the sour one is? We won't talk. I will not talk. And let me tell you, every time you refuse to communicate with your husband or wife, you lay another brick on the wall between you and him or you and her. Say, well, she talks all the time. Well, you must not listen very well. He just always yapping about something. He must not have thought that you heard him. Statement number two, God's will is for marriage to be a happy union, not a civil war. God's will is for your marriage to be a happy union, not a civil war. Listen, listen to what, here's what Solomon wrote in a couple other places. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom thou lovest all the days of the life of thy vanity. Here's another one. Proverbs 5, 18. Rejoice with the wife of thy youth. I understand that every marriage encounters storms, okay? I think it's probably somewhat of a misnomer to say marriage is a, is a love boat. But I'll tell you what, marriage is not a battleship. It's a cruise ship. And, and God intended for you and her, you and him, to get along, to be able to work through your differences, to go through your difficulties. Nobody, 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 nobody has a perfect marriage. If they tell you that, you ought to ask them, what other sins have you committed today besides lying? Everybody has struggles. I have struggles, you have struggles, all God's people got struggles. But, but what makes a difference is we work through those struggles. And we work through those struggles with communication. And when I'm talking about communication, I'm talking about more than just words. Words are important, but, but they don't do all that needs to be done for marriage to survive and thrive. How do you communicate then? I'm going to give you four, four avenues of communication and we'll be done. Number one, communicate with talk. Yes, I believe talk is part of it. I'm going to give that first statement. One of the greatest gifts you can give to your spouse is the gift of words. One of the greatest gifts you can give your spouse is the gift of words. <coughs> You're here in the song, chapter 1. Look, look, look down verse number 9, I think is what I give you there. Yeah, Verse number 9, he's talking to her. He says, I have compared thee, O my love, to a company of horses in Pharaoh's chariots. Now, okay, stop right there. That's probably not a good line for you to use, okay? I'm not, I'm not necessarily asking you to memorize this. 
because that means nothing in our vernacular, okay? But you have to understand, Saul, Solomon was a horseman. I've had the privilege to go to the land of Israel a couple times, going again in November. And uh, one of the things that I've been able to see is in Megiddo, he had a stable that would hold 3,000 horses. I, I figured it up one time. I can't remember now, but he could ride a different horse every day and ride horses of almost, I think it was almost nine years, never ride the same horse twice. That's just one stable that we know of. Okay? So when he, when he looked at her and said, I've compared you to one of the finest horses in Pharaoh's chariots, <laughs> I mean, it meant something to her. She thought, Wow! Okay, some of you might say you're, you're the you're the you're the best football game I've ever seen. You know, something like that. Yeah, roll tide. I, if you say that, that'll, that'll do it. But anyway, he he he's speaking her language. Look, look at what he says there in verse verse ten. He said, "Thy cheeks are comely." They mean that means beautiful, becoming. And he says there were rolls of jewel, thy necks with chains of gold. Well, what else do we know about Solomon? We know he was a very wealthy man. Solomon knew jewels. He's speaking her language. He's speaking what he knows. He, said, he says, verse 11, we'll make thee borders of gold with studs of silver. Go to verse 15. Behold, thou art fair, my love. Behold, thou art fair. Thou hast dove's eyes. Dove's eyes, one of, the, one, of the, one of the characteristics of dove's eyes, they can only focus on one thing at a time. He's saying to her, you have every bit of my attention. I'm looking right at you. And then he repeats what he's already said twice in verse 15. He says it again in verse 16. Behold, thou art fair, my beloved, yea, pleasant. Also, our bed is green. He, he, he is doing everything he can to shower her with his words. And that isn't the only time. Just look over to chapter 4 a minute. Here he goes again. Verse 7. Thou art all, all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. You don't have a blemish. You're beautiful. As a matter of fact... If uh, one of my favorite commentaries is John Phillips, and Phillips in chapter 4, and I, I agree with Phillips, he believes that to be the marriage night, and he says in chapter 4 of, of the song is going into the holy of holies of, of marital love. He's showering her with praise, though. He is speaking to her to let her know how much he loves her. You know, sometimes... Somehow our, our society has tried to convince men that we're not talkers. That is a lie. You know what it is? It's what you're talking about. I guarantee if you're a hunter, I can start talking about hunting, you'd talk to the night's over. Fisherman, if you're a Carolina Duke, whatever, fan, football, basketball. Every man in this room, you've got something you talk about. It's not, it's not that you don't talk. It's that you don't talk to your wife and say to her those things she needs you to say. I, 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 heard, a, I heard about a, about a woman uh, in a Dilbert cartoon. She looked at this man and she said, I like a man who knows how to communicate, but not a man that talks about sports, his jobs, computer, TV, sex, or his accomplishments. 
With a rather puzzled look, he said, well, that only leads Greek mythology and you to talk about. She says, I hate Greek mythology. (laughs) You need to talk. But that's only part of it. Give you that second statement. Talking is only half of the process. You must also learn to listen. And I'm telling you, listening is an area where every one of us could improve. Several years ago, probably the mid-80s, we were in a legal battle as a church ministry. And I had to go down to speak to one of our lawyers. I was sitting in his waiting area. There was a sign up on his wall. I didn't have a phone then, could take a picture. I had to write it down. But I wrote down what was on that sign in his office. He said, it said, I know you believe you understood what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. That's probably where most of us live. We, we hear selectively. You know, you, know, you know what a good practice may be to do? If you're not sure what your husband and wife said to you, restate what you thought they said. I understood you to say, you may be right, you may be wrong. The truth is we all talk, but we all need to know how to listen. And let me tell you this, especially those of us that are men, and I talked to men a little bit about this in the last session. Your wife needs you to listen, not give her a lecture. She needs you to listen. So number one, you communicate with talk. Number two, you communicate with time. Go back to chapter two, would you please? Solomon speaking, and he says, In verse 10, my beloved spake, his dear wife spake, and she said unto me, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing of birds has come. The voice of the turtle is heard in our land. The fig tree putteth forth her green figs, and the vines with their tender grape give a good smell. Arise, my love, my fair one, and come away. What was she saying? I really want us to go out and check on the turtles. (laughs) I'm really into gardening this year. No, she's saying, I want us to go out and be alone. My generation did a lot of this. I'm not proud of it. My generation in churches like our church said that it's not the quantity of time you give, it's the quality of time you give. That's a lie. It's a lot better for me to give five hours to this lady, don't matter what kind of time it is, than give her five minutes of really good quality time. See, I, I believe L-O-V-E is best spelled T-I-M-E. 
We, we, we need to spend time together. Give you, give you that statement. You must continue to invest your time in your relationship. You, you know how you won your, your, your wife? You know how you, how you persuaded your husband? To, he, you spent time together. And when you take time to spend time together, you know what you do? You show that, that person to be the number one priority in your life. And I'll tell you one of the biggest enemies of spending time together. I have a feature on my phone. It's called Do Not Disturb. And when I put my phone upside down like that, it's not going to beep. It's not going to buzz. It's not going to do anything. I didn't even tell Sharon that for a long time. She said, say, what are you doing? Listen, you could spend two hours with your wife, sir, and the president probably will not call you. And if he does, he won't remember that he did, okay? So don't even worry about it. I mean, who, who's going why, to, why do you have to go out on a meal with your wife or your husband and check your phone every five minutes? I mean, it, it is not unusual, is it? I'm, I guarantee you, if you go out and eat in public, it's not unusual to set, the, set down the table, look across the restaurant, and a table of five people in a family, and all five of them on their phone. They don't even know the rest of them are there. I'm thinking, if I slip with my check, I wonder if they'll know, you know? What, what, what did she want to do? She wanted to be with him. And, and you have to continue to invest your time. Give, give you that next statement. Be sure to carve out time daily, weekly, and periodically. Be sure to carve out time daily, weekly, and periodically. You need to continue to date each other. And particularly those of you that have children in your home, you better not allow those children come between you and your mate. You better not. I, I used to hear about, I used to hear about people who've been married 20, 30 years getting divorced, and I think, how in the world? I'm thinking, when I get, I'm married 20, 30 years, I'm just going to have Sharon trained like I think she ought to do, you know? <laughs> but you know what I found out? Their children became their focus. And when the children left the house and they were empty nesters, they didn't even know each other. You better spend a little time with your husband and wife every day, even if you're out of town. You don't have a reason why you can't call them on the phone. You, you, ought, to, you ought to do it every week. You ought to have some way that you said, and especially you got children in your home, you, you ought, it's worth a babysitter. If, you, you may be like us. Grandparents are 600 miles from us. But you know what? Even periodically. You, you know what you can do? You can go and spend the night away and your children will live. It's amazing. Well, they'll die if I... Not there. I've never left. I've never left them alone. Oh, bless your heart. They probably one day are going to leave you and never even think second time about it. You've got to carve out time. So you communicate with talk, communicate with time. Number three, communicate with touch. You're in the song there. Look up at verse number 6, chapter 2. I'm sorry, you're in chapter 2. His left hand is under my head and his right hand doth embrace me. Right. Statement number 1, be sure to hold each other and hug each other. 
You, you, you know what they, studies have revealed that touch boosts the immune system, lowers blood pressure, decreases stress, and releases opiates into the brain like a pain-killing drug. You, 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 know, you, know what they, you know what they do with babies in our area? They probably do it right here in your area. When a baby's born and that baby's in a NIC unit, a NATO intensive care unit, and, and mama can't get into there, that baby, you know what they do? They have people on purpose to go in there and reach inside that unit and hold that baby's hand or hold his foot or rub his head. You know why? Because they understand that the power of touch is strong. Everybody wants to be hugged. Everybody wants to be held. You ought to start with your husband, your wife. You say, well, I'm just not affectionate. Get over it. Get over it. That's just not me. Well, I'm going to tell you what. If it's not you, and I'm not giving your husband or wife any excuse, but if it's not you, I promise you they're going to look for that somewhere. I read the story of a husband and wife been married 50 years, had fought most of their 50 years, and so their children for their 50th anniversary gave them a counseling session with a marriage counselor. As you can only imagine, once the children left, all they did was fuss and fight about why they gave that to them. And when they, the children set up the appointment, on the way to the first appointment, all they did the whole time there was fuss and fight about who was going to talk first and who was going to say what and what was going to do. And, and anyway, and so the counselor was a very wise man. He realized what some of the problem was. And so he walked right over and he took that woman, he laid her down and just kissed her. I mean, just kissed her right there and brought her up. And, she, and he looked at him and he said, now he, she needs that three times a week. He said, are you open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? <laughs> touch. Touch is a second statement. Touch is both a refresher and a reminder. Touch is both a refresher and a reminder of just how precious your relationship is. Go to chapter 5 just a minute. Verse 1. This is, this is the verse I mentioned a few moments ago that I think is the only time that it's not a conversation to or about each other. Here's the statement. Look at me in verse, chapter 5, verse 1. I'm coming to my garden, my sister, my spouse. I've gathered my myrrh with my spice. He's talking. I've eaten my honey, comb with my honey. I've drunk my wine with my milk. So all talking about the physical, intimate relationships, what that's talking about. And then I believe right here, the latter part of verse 1 is the only time God speaks in the whole song. You know what God says? He says, eat, O friends. Drink. Yea, drink abundantly, O beloved. God understands we're made to touch each other. Communicate with talk, with time, with touch, and one last thing, with thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. Statement number one there, it's amazing how just little thoughtful things can build your overall relationship. Look at chapter 7 just a moment. 
She's speaking in chapter 7 and verse 10. And she says, I'm my beloved. And his desires toward me. Come, my beloved. Let us go forth in the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, where the tender grapes appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. My, the mandrakes give a smell. At our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O oh, my beloved. Just, just little things. Little things. You know, one of the little things Sharon does for me oftentimes, she goes out and speaks some and when she's gone overnight, most of the time she's going to write me a little note and put it under my pillow. <laughs> I never wait till I go to bed. I just, as soon as she leaves, I go in there and get the note. But anyway, uh, you know, just a little thing. We can text each other. We can talk to each other. Just little things. One of the things I remember her telling me early on in our marriage, don't get me flowers on my birthday, anniversary, or Valentine's Day. If you're going to get me flowers, just buy them just because you want to buy them. So I haven't bought any yet, but. <laughs> President Ronald Reagan, I understand, one Thanksgiving breakfast, wrote a note on a card that he put on the tray that he carried in to Nancy, and he said, you are the whipped cream on the pumpkin pie of life. Boy, am I a dessert man. <laughs> you, you ought to learn how to communicate with just thoughtful things. And listen, Thoughtful things are sometimes they're so simple. If you, if you never, and when I, I don't think I've recommended many books tonight. I recommend a book that may not agree with everything the guy's ever written. I don't agree with every word he ever wrote. They, I, I don't even agree with myself all the time. So, so, but if you haven't read Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, you owe it to yourself to, to read it. There's five love languages acts of service, quality time, physical touch, words of affirmation. And one more. Gifts. Gifts. Okay. Wouldn't be a surprise to you. Sharon and I don't have the same love language, right? Probably you, none of us do. Her love language is, is acts of service and quality time. My love language is um, words of affirmation and, and physical touch. Okay. Of course, every married man's interested in physical touch. You know that, right? You know, when does, a, when does a married man want to have an intimate time with his wife? On all days that begin with T, today and tomorrow. Okay, so um, that's just the way God made us, all right? But anyway, it was a wonderful day in my life when I found out one of the thoughtful things I could do for her that said to her I love her is I remember to carry the trash out on Thursday night. That's an act of service. Just something simple. Might, might be like yesterday. Yesterday was Labor Day, and so we labored around the house some. And, and you know what? I just I said, what, what can I do? What can I do? She was, she was doing something. I said, can I do that? And you go do something else that I can't do? She said, yeah. I said, okay, I'll do it. Right? Just, just something simple but thoughtful. Then number two, be sure to think of your mate's needs first. We are all selfish people. But you remember on that wedding day, you said, for better, for worse, for it's your poor, sickness and health. So, so just, just remember, what does she need? What does he need? Nothing wrong with what she wants. What does he want? I read a story years ago about a little boy in West Virginia. He's eight years old. Some of you will remember this, this, this person I'm fixing to tell about. 
Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson had a show called The Tonight Show. I reckon it was one of the first late night shows. Somebody on Carson's staff heard about this little boy in West Virginia that saved two of his friends out of an abandoned mine. And so they reached out to his family to see if he would come and be on Mr. Carson's show. Johnny Carson, whether you agree with him, and I probably didn't agree with him on much, but he was, a, he was an expert interviewer. He knew how to ask questions. So he's talking to this little boy, and when he's talking to him about rescuing his friends, he catches on that this little boy is religious is the way Mr. Carson said it in the article I read. He caught on he was religious. So he said to the little boy, Son, you, do you go to Sunday school? He said, every week. Every week. He said, well, you know, just being the interviewer he was, he said, well, what did your, what did your teacher teach you about last Sunday? He thought a minute. He said, Jesus went to the wedding at Cana of Galilee and changed the water into wine. Well, of course, Carson thought then he'd really have something he could jab this boy about. So he said to him, he said, well, what does that mean to you? He thought, he said, I reckon if you're going to have a wedding, you better invite Jesus to it. That's the difference, isn't it? It takes Christ, it takes commitment, but it does take communication. Would you bow your head right there with me? Maybe just take your husband or wife by the hand, and we won't have a come forward invitation, but won't you just take them... By the hand, I know it can be kind of quiet in here, so I'm not asking you to be boisterous or loud, but maybe just for a moment you could pray together. You could just say to the Lord, Lord, help us to work on this thing of communication. Help me. I really not help her or help him. Help me, Lord. Maybe, maybe you know that you hadn't been given the kind of time that you ought to give or hadn't been listening to the talk that you should have been listening to or hadn't been very thoughtful. Touching, affectionate, caring. Oh, Father, help us tonight. All of us, Lord. We want our homes to be a place where you're supreme, you're king. We're just your servants. They're my servants of each other. Help us with this matter of communication tonight. And oh Lord, don't help us just to hear this. Help us to do something about it. Because the storm's coming. The rain's going to fall. The wind's going to beat. Lord, help us to do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.